He's heard of a place better than these. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries. I'm Kendall Martin, and today we are bringing you a bonus episode in preparation for General Convention. Today's bonus episode is a recording from the June 18th webinar, Our 1939 Moment, Continuing the Legacy of Welcome, hosted by Episcopal Migration Ministries and the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations. Presented as part of the World Refugee Day observance on June 20th, the webinar is a conversation about the history and present of the Episcopal Church's legacy of refugee welcome. Allison Duval and I are joined by Lacey Bromel, Immigration and Refugee Policy Advisor in the Office of Government Relations. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome. This is our 1939 moment, continuing the legacy of welcome. I'm Allison Duval, the manager for church relations and engagement for Episcopal Migration Ministries, or EMM. And I'm speaking to you today from Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, I'm Lacey Bromell, the refugee and immigration policy advisor in the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations, coming to you from Washington, D.C. And I'm Kendall Martin, Communications Manager for Episcopal Migration Ministries, and I'm coming at you from Richmond, Virginia. Thank you all so much for being here today. Today's webinar is also being recorded for later production into a podcast episode, which will also be called Our 1939 Moment. We really hope you'll check out EMM's podcast. It's called Hometown, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can find each episode and connected blog posts on our social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are EMM Refugees. You can also find the episodes on our website, which is www.episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash blog. Please subscribe, listen, share, and rate and review. It helps others find hometown. And watch for our 1939 Moment episode to drop in your podcast feed later this week in honor of World Refugee Day. Yes, every year on June 20th, we honor World Refugee Day by lifting up refugee voices and stories, calling attention to the global refugee crisis, and teaching about the important work of refugee resettlement. We're bringing you our 1939 Moment this week to recognize World Refugee Day. Episcopal Migration Ministries and the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations through the Episcopal Public Policy Network offer a wealth of resources to help you recognize and honor World Refugee Day. Kendall will be sharing more about that later. In addition to it being the week of World Refugee Day, the Episcopal Church is also coming up on a major, exciting triennial event, General Convention. And as we walk toward General Convention, which starts in just a few weeks on July 5th, it's amazing, it's so close, it it seemed not only appropriate but vital that we talk about where EMM came from. Why did it arise at the moment that it did? What was the church doing before that and after, and what are we called to today? And especially important for all those who are heading to Austin for General Convention and all those who will be following the actions of Convention, What has General Convention said about refugees, and what will EMM be doing at General Convention this year? So with those questions in mind, we're going to get started. And for our webinar audience, if you have questions as we go, as I said earlier, please type them in the questions pane or the chat box, and we'll have a Q&A conversation at the end of today's content. 
So what we're going to do in today's webinar is I will first talk about the historical context that led to the Episcopal Church getting involved in refugee resettlement work in the first place. And I'll take us through some of the history of general convention resolutions. And then I'll share you with you how you can be a part of Episcopal Migration Ministries and how we'll be present at general convention this year. Many of you will be familiar with this moving vintage poster with its deep navy, bold red, and unique white font that reads, In the name of these refugees, aid all refugees. And for those listening by podcast, you can find this image on our blog. The message, In the name of these refugees, aid all refugees, borders an image of the Holy Family. Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus on their flight to Egypt as they escape the massacre of the innocents. When the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 tells us, King Herod ordered the murder of all the children of Bethlehem under the age of two. It is, in Matthew's telling, the moment that Jesus became a refugee. The image and the story from the Gospel of Matthew are powerful and stirring in and of themselves. And if we pull back the layers of Christmas carols and Christmas trees and pageants, And we just spend some time imagining what Matthew is describing in his gospel. We can see that he's telling a refugee story. The Holy Family is fleeing for their lives, terrified and unsure, and desperate to find safety. It is a timeless story, repeated countless times throughout history, and as we know, repeated today in the story of more than 65 million people who are forcibly displaced from their homes, more than 22 million of whom have fled their countries and, just like the Holy Family, become refugees. But today we don't want to focus so much on the story from the Gospel of Matthew and its desperate drumbeat throughout history. What we really want to focus on is the context in which a group of Episcopalians 80 years ago, felt compelled to create and share this poster in the first place. What was going on in their world, in their media, and in their popular culture? And why did they feel they needed to respond? So to get into that, I first want to investigate the common saying that America is a nation of immigrants. To a large extent, that's true. Most people in the U.S. trace at least part of their ancestry to those who immigrated to this land from elsewhere. But this common phrase is problematic in a few respects. First, European immigrants came to North America. When they came, the continent already had millions of Native and Indigenous people who were, over time, forcibly and violently displaced from their ancestral and native lands. Second, European colonists brought chattel slavery to the continent, a violent enforced displacement of people from the African continent who were brought to North America and the Caribbean in chains. The saying, America is a nation of immigrants, neglects these stories. And the third problematic aspect, I think, to saying that America is a nation of immigrants is that it's often incorrectly connected to an idea that America has always welcomed immigrants. But that's not true. 
Immigrants have long been coming to this continent, but the U.S. has not always been hospitable nor welcoming to immigrants. From neither the policy and legislative perspective, nor within popular culture. From the earliest days of the United States, citizenship and the rights that went with it were restricted to only white men. Chinese immigration was prohibited and Asians were barred from citizenship. Political cartoons portrayed Eastern and Southern European immigrants as criminals, disease-infested, dirty, and delinquent, and to quote common language of the early 19th, excuse me, of the late 19th and early 20th century, quote, imbeciles and idiots. Organizations like the Immigration Restriction League, which was founded by three graduates of Harvard University, were engaged in robust advocacy for immigration restrictionist policies. They held that large numbers of immigrants were undesirable, had low standards of living and morals, criminal tendencies, and caused unhealthy competition in the labor market. Members of the Immigration Restriction League and other similar organizations also banded together around eugenics, an insidious, racist, and pseudoscientific ideology that supported and undergirded their restrictionist policies. These were not fringe elements at the edges of politics, but they were part of the political mainstream. At the time the Immigration Restriction League was organizing, the Episcopal Church was organizing too, to minister to immigrants at both coasts through port chaplaincies. The Episcopal Church created a Bureau of Immigration to minister to new arrivals, oftentimes Europeans who were escaping totalitarian and oppressive regimes. As the Reverend Thomas Burgess, the secretary of the Church's Bureau of Immigration said, Our American church itself needs the richness of spiritual life that will come from the effort to provide for men and women of every race. These foreign neighbors of ours have as much to give us as we have to give them. They can make this church really American. Even as the Episcopal Church and others were ministering to new arrivals, who were finding work, learning English, integrating, and becoming Americans themselves, Immigration restrictionists were a powerful political force. They seized upon Army IQ tests to demonstrate to Congress the threat that immigrants posed to the nation. Based on testimony about the feeble-mindedness of immigrants and within a culture consumed by anti-immigrant fervor and this racist pseudoscience, in the 1920s, Congress passed a number of immigration restrictionist laws the Emergency Quota Act of 1921, the Immigration Act of 1924, and the National Origins Formula of 1929. The Immigration Act of 1924, also called the Johnson-Reed Act, limited the number of immigrants allowed entry into the U.S. through a national origins quota. The quota provided immigration visas to 2% 
of the total number of people of each nationality in the U.S. as of the 1890 census. It also completely excluded immigrants from Asia. As Matthew Fry Jacobson said on PBS's The First Measured Century about the 1924 Act, quote, By going all the way back to 1890, it cut out from the calculations all those millions who had arrived after 1890. What it does, in fact, is cut out exactly the people who, you, who the eugenicists were most afraid of. So while it's called a National Origins Act, it is really very much a racial origins act, unquote. The National Origins Formula of 1929 further restricted immigration, capping annual immigration to 150,000. Now, I give you all this background because it's important to understand as we walk toward the moment the Episcopal Church took a stand. These were the laws that were operative in the United States as Hitler and the Nazi regime were rising in Europe, and as Hitler began to implement his own vast program of eugenics. Hitler had closely studied U.S. eugenics, and strong professional relationships developed between U.S. eugenicists and their Nazi counterparts. As the Nazi eugenics program turned to euthanasia and mass murder, those targeted by the Nazis desperately tried to escape Europe. However, the United States was only recently done with its own eugenics fervor. Immigration restrictionist policies were still on the books, and anti-Semitism was prevalent. In 1939, the MS St. Louis, a German ocean liner carrying 937 passengers, almost all of whom were Jewish refugees, was turned away from the port of Miami, Florida. The ship was forced to return to Europe, where more than a quarter of its passengers died in the Holocaust. It was in the years surrounding this event that Episcopalians began to speak out vigorously. The Right Reverend Henry Hobson, then the Bishop of the Diocese of Southern Ohio, said, As Christians, we can only take one stand. We can act as sponsors for individuals or families fleeing Europe. We can sign the necessary affidavits so that these refugees can be admitted under the quota. We can give generously for their maintenance and relief. We can stand firmly in opposition to the voice of the devil, heard in the anti-Semitic propaganda, which is such an insidious evil in our midst. We can show a willingness to make a real sacrifice without whimpering, as we show forth Christ's love for these great sufferers of our day. To come full circle to where we began, it was in 1939 that the people in the Episcopal Diocese of Southern Ohio created this iconic poster in the name of these refugees, Aid All Refugees. The same year the U.S. turned the St. Louis away, the Episcopal Church claimed its place in the work of refugee welcome and advocacy and proclaimed loudly in a culture of fear and othering that we welcome refugees and immigrants as we would welcome Christ. It's easy to look back on parts of this history 
with the remove of decades and condemn the policies, the misunderstanding, the fear. But this webinar is called Our 1939 Moment because we need not only look at our past, but we need to be aware of what's going on in this present moment, our 1939 moment. Anti-immigrant sentiments are again on the rise and have led to the implementation of anti-immigrant and anti-refugee policies. Episcopalians have, throughout our history, recognized when 1939 moments are happening. Through our General Convention and Executive Council, we've grappled with the circumstances of the day and proclaimed as a church what we are about. We are about love in the way of Jesus. Now I'm going to turn it over to Lacey, who will walk us through how the Episcopal Church has lived into this calling to proclaim the way of love and the way of Jesus through our governance. Lacey, over to you. Thank you, Allison. I will be covering the history of General Convention and Executive Council resolutions on refugees and how the Episcopal Church puts these policies into action. I will start by sharing a bit of history about General Convention itself. The General Convention is the governing body of the Episcopal Church that meets every three years. This July, we will be gathering at the 79th General Convention. The first was held in Philadelphia in 1785. The structure of the convention is much like that of our U.S. Congress. It is a bicameral legislature that includes the House of Deputies and the House of Bishops, composed of bishops and deputies from each diocese. During its triennial meeting, deputies and bishops consider a wide range of important matters facing the church, from decisions on the budget to the Book of, the Com to Book of Common Prayer to policies on social issues like refugees and immigration. In between General Convention years, there is what's called Executive Council. Executive Council's mandate is to oversee the execution of the program and policies adopted by the General Convention. That includes serving as essentially a board to the Domestic and Foreign Missionary Society staff, overseeing finances, and also passing resolves on social issues such as refugee and immigration issues. So what are all these policies that have been passed by General Convention and Executive Council, and how can you find them? You can find all acts of convention or resolves of Executive Council on the website of the Archives of the Episcopal Church at www.episcopalarchives.org. You can do a word search or explore by year if you like. I won't be listing resolutions wholesale today, but I encourage you to check out the resolutions on refugees and immigrants yourself. The Archives of the Episcopal Church recently released a report detailing our church's history in this field of refugee and immigrations, and they wrote, While specific advocacy goals change in response to world events, it is clear the church has a history of conscientious care for the welcome, safety, and support of individuals who immigrate to the United States. 
particularly those who come as a result of war, persecution, or natural disaster. Members of vulnerable populations, such as women, children, and racial, religious, and other minority groups, have been especially elevated in the Church's public advocacy efforts. End quote. General Convention resolutions on refugees date as far back as the 1930s, calling for the loosening of restrictive and racially discriminatory immigration policies that Allison just mentioned. With the huge increase of displaced persons after World War II, the Church founded the Presiding Bishops Fund for World Relief, which today has split into Episcopal Relief and Development and Episcopal Migration Ministries. Much of the resolutions around the 1940s and 50s were urging parishes to participate actively in sponsoring refugees for resettlement through that office and continuing to decry discriminatory and restrictive immigration policies. From the 1960s into the 1980s, the focus of the U.S. and Episcopal policy was on responding to the high numbers of refugees from Southeast Asia, urging both continued local engagement on a parish level and urging the President of the United States and the leadership of the U.S. Congress to support generous and humanitarian refugee policy. In the 1990s, the Church issued several resolutions reiterating that the U.S. should maintain a just system of asylum for persecuted persons seeking safety in the U.S., uphold a generous program of refugee resettlement in response to global need, and apply its refugee policies in a uniform and equitable manner without regard to the nationality, race, or creed of those seeking refugee status. And in, 2000, in October 2001, in resolve titled Response to September 11th, Executive Council included a statement urging that the tradition of offering safe haven to refugees and asylum seekers be respected and that we should not permit security-based procedural safeguards to impinge upon the rights of asylum seekers based on their country of origin, race, ethnicity, or religion. And in 2015, General Convention passed resolutions calling for continued support for asylum seekers fleeing Central America and calling for an end to family detention and urging alternatives to detention as a whole. Beyond these examples tied to specific moments in history, we can see resonant themes as well. Resolutions have up uplifted our connections to the Anglican Communion in addressing refugee situations. But we also have strong resolutions on international development and addressing root causes, so these displacement crises are prevented from happening in the first place. The Episcopal Church is clear and firm about how we feel about refugees based on these resolutions. So how do we fulfill our commitments to these lofty ideals? Advocacy has taken place throughout the Church in many different forms over many different 1939 moments. One piece of it I want to share today is advocacy with the Office of Government Relations. The Office of Government Relations represents the policy priorities of the Episcopal Church to the government in Washington, D.C. 
We aim to shape and influence policy and legislation on critical issues, highlighting the voices and experiences of Anglicans and Episcopalians globally. Everything we do is based on a general convention or executive council resolution, which means that the work of general convention and executive council directly determine what it is that we do in our office. The Office of Government Relations was established on Capitol Hill in 1978, so we have been around for 40 years. Our work of advocacy in OGR is largely relationship building and behind-the-scenes work. We are representing the values of the church, and that means we are looking for policies that protect those who are poor and hungry, the marginalized and the vulnerable. We do this advocacy through meetings with members of Congress and their staff, submitting testimony on bills, and much more, including supporting Episcopalians in their work of advocacy. The Episcopal Public Policy Network, which is a grassroots network of Episcopalians engaged in advocacy, began shortly after the office was established, and it continues to be a key way that we reach out to and equip Episcopalians. We equip Episcopalians to engage in federally focused advocacy on issues important to the church. Again, in other words, where we have general convention or executive council resolutions. Advocacy involves educating policymakers and legislators and asking them to support particular programs, initiatives, or legislation. We invite you to go to our website, advocacy.episcopalchurch.org, today and send a letter to your elected officials telling them you welcome refugees. Through the work of the Office of Government Relations and the Episcopal Public Policy Network, we bring the Episcopal Church's long history of commitment to refugee protection to policymakers. It is that commitment and those resolutions that bring us forth to today. We are actively engaged in urging the administration to maintain our nation's admirable tradition of refugee resettlement. Urging them, urging them to address root causes of conflict and to maintain our asylum system and due process, rather than separate families at the border or treat immigrants and asylum seekers inhumanely. Kendall will now share several exciting engagement opportunities for how you can be a part of today's 1939 moment with Episcopal Migration Ministries. Thank you, Lacey. The first thing I want to share is that Episcopal Migration Ministries and the Office of Government Relations will share a booth at this year's General Convention, Booth 410, and we would love for those of you in attendance to come and say hi. We will be there with resources, print materials, a virtual reality experience, a daily free raffle, and more. And most importantly, we will be there to be in conversation with you and equip you to live out these resolutions that Lacey just covered. We've recently updated the Episcopal Migration Ministries website to make it easier for you to find resources, educational materials, media, and upcoming events. And we invite you to visit our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, and take a tour of all there is to offer. You will now find an option under our Educate Communities section to request a speaker from EMM to come to your church, diocese, or event, and we would love the opportunity to visit you and share this ministry of the church that we all care so deeply about. Today, I want to highlight a few of the resources available on our website and how you can be involved. 
Over the course of the last year, EMM has hosted three Love God, Love Neighbor trainings in Connecticut, Colorado, and Georgia. Funded by a Constable Fund grant, the Love God, Love Neighbor training provides an opportunity to join in community with folks from across the church and in the world of resettlement. Participants receive an in-depth exploration of the global displacement crisis, U.S. refugee policy, the refugee resettlement process, and faith-based advocacy, and leave equipped to be allies, advocates, and ambassadors for refugee welcome and support. While we currently have no training scheduled, if you would like to explore the possibility of bringing Love God, Love Neighbor training to your community, church, diocese, or state, please be in touch. This year, we participated in Forward Movement's Good Book Club initiative, an invitation to all Episcopalians to read the books of Luke and Acts during Lent and Easter 2018 with the launch of our hometown podcast. We just recently wrapped our first season and will be releasing periodic episodes during the coming summer months. The hometown podcast features interviews with men and women resettled to the U.S. as refugees and tells their stories of courage, resilience, and strength. We offer history and current events around the refugee crisis and provide an in-depth exploration of refugee-producing countries. Hometown is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. In addition, we release a blog post with each episode and the show notes on our website. You can visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash blog for all of the hometown posts. If you have a story to tell, are interested in offering a reflection, or have particular background knowledge in this area, we would love to feature you on Hometown, so please do let us know. A new and exciting toolkit we've just released on our website is the Refugee Sunday Toolkit. Refugee Sunday is an opportunity to celebrate and share the church's ministry of welcome, teach about refugee resettlement, and inspire the local community to take action in support of refugees and immigrants. This comprehensive toolkit guides congregations through the process of planning and hosting a Refugee Sunday, including tips for additional activities to welcome the wider community into this special day. We invite you to host a Refugee Sunday and share the message of welcome and hope with your community through stories, reflection, and prayer. And you can find this on our website at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash refugee hyphen Sunday. As many of you know, World Refugee Day is this Wednesday, June 20th. On our website at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash World Refugee Day, we offer resources, toolkits, and ideas for how to get involved and celebrate the strength and resilience of refugees worldwide. This year, we partnered with Point of View, the nonfiction film section of PBS, to offer a way for folks to host their own free film festival in honor of World Refugee Day. They offer a selection of films about the refugee crisis from different vantage points around the world. We invite you to take advantage of this opportunity anytime this year as a way to engage your community or church. Each film also comes with a discussion guide and questions to facilitate a conversation. We also invite you to share the Presiding Bishop's World Refugee Day message. Join us on social media on World Refugee Day and use the hashtags WRD2018, Support Refugees, and Refugees Welcome. And finally, in this time of great need for refugees, we ask you to consider making a donation to the Ministry of Episcopal Migration Ministries. Our website offers ways to give a tax-deductible donation through a direct gift or through a gift for welcome for a friend or family member. You can visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give 
or text EMM to 41444. Thank you in advance for gifts that do so much. This is good and holy work that you help make happen, and every dollar you give is used to make a difference in people's lives and give the gift of hope. We ask you to dig deep. Our prayer for all of you is that as you are moved to give and share, you will know that the gifts you make are saving lives. Thank you. And don't forget to come by booth 410 at General Convention. We would love to see you. So now I'm going to turn it over to Lacey for a question and answer opportunity. And if you have a question but have not yet submitted it via the chat box, please do so. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you, Kendall. And thank you all again for being here today to join our 1939 Moment webinar. We encourage you to enter your questions either through the question box by typing them there or typing them in the chat box, and we will uh, begin to take them now. So anytime if you have a question or maybe want to share something your church is doing on this issue already, we'd love to see that. We have one question already that says, I'm interested in the work of EMM. Is it only advocacy and education, or what other opportunities for engagement are there? Allison or Kendall, would you like to take that? And while we're answering that, I encourage you all to jump on in and answer, ask some questions. This is Allison. I'm happy to start, and then maybe Kendall can fill in. And it looks like another question came across that might go to Lacey after this. Um, so Episcopal Migration Ministries since 1988 has been a refugee resettlement agency. We we are a ministry of the Episcopal Church. We're not a separate entity. Um, and as the Episcopal Church through our department, we also partner with the federal government, with the State Department to resettle refugees. And over our last you know, 30 years of existence, we've resettled over 90,000 refugees as a church through the public-private partnership that our country um, has constructed to do its refugee resettlement work. Now, that said, as you've all likely been reading and learning and paying attention over the last year and a half, the circumstances um, for refugee resettlement in this country have changed drastically due to the new administration's policies and positions towards refugee resettlement. So EMM, along with eight, the eight other refugee resettlement agencies, are in a time of great challenge as we work to advocate for and serve those um, that we've welcomed and also to take a stand for those still seeking safety and in desperate need of refuge. Um, so we have worked very hard to increase and cr make a very robust educational and advocacy ministry because there's nothing more important right now than standing up and speaking out to support refugee resettlement and other policies, um, uh, humane policies towards asylum seekers and immigrants. And there have been some questions that have come across about that. Um, so I know Lacey will probably field those. But Kendall, do you want to add anything about about EMM's ministry? I think you covered it, Allison. Um, in addition to being a resettlement agency, we, we are working actively with um, promoting advocacy and education. Um, and so we would love for you to visit our website and explore all the resources and media that we have to help you in that way. And I'll work in that vein. I want to just um, add another question that somebody said they're interested in love God, love neighbor, but is there a way somehow to do it as an individual? Um, this person is going to be at general convention, which is excellent. Um, and they should come on by to booth 410 to talk with EMM and the Office of Government Relations. Um, but maybe could you speak a little bit more about love God, love neighbor before we maybe uh, move to a different topic? 
Sure, I'd be happy to. So Love God, Love Neighbor is seeking partners, dioceses, provinces, congregations, or organizations who'd like to partner with us to host another Love God, Love Neighbor training. We've heard from folks in Chicago that there's some interest. We've heard from churches in Texas. So we're seeking partners because the grant that funded the first three trainings has ended. So yes, there will be ways for an individual to attend a Love God, Love Neighbor after we find some partners who are willing to bring it to um, bring it and be a host. Um, so stay tuned. As soon as we get some training scheduled with partner dioceses or organizations, we'll be publishing that on our website and promoting it widely. Excellent. Thank you. So one of the other questions um, was asking for concrete ways to help with the situation at the border. I'm imagining speaking specifically about uh, the family separation that we're um, seeing there. So I'm happy to answer that question because the Office of Government Relations is working with Episcopal Migration Ministries to partner. We currently have an action alert on our website on advocacy.episcopalchurch.org where we're encouraging Episcopalians to send a message to their members of Congress and ask them to urge the administration to stop this practice of family detention and to uphold the sanctity of asylum. Many of these individuals are asylum seekers and it is legal to come to the United States and to seek asylum. And so we're encouraging that um, the administration is respecting these individuals' right to seek asylum and to not expose them to further trauma and harm by separating them from their children. So we have that action alert. The presiding bishop has also issued a statement. And we are actually hosting a vigil here in Washington, D.C. this Thursday, June 21st. Um, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. It's the longest day of the year. It's the solstice. And so we will be um, joining a community of faith in Washington, D.C. to bring attention to the fact that any day a parent is separated from their child is a day too long. So look out for more information from that. I encourage you, if you don't already receive emails from the Episcopal Public Policy Network, that's the best way to stay in touch with us and to follow us on social media, um, which we will be... Um, I think it'll be on our, our next screen here about social media to share, um, to follow the Episcopal Public Policy Network or at the EPPN. We'll also be um, showing you links. I know some folks, um, there are many different ways to help, but if you do want to donate right now, we're assessing needs from our partners in Texas. CARA um, is an excellent partner. That's C-A-R-A, all capitals. Um, KIND, Kids in Need of Defense, capital I, excuse me, all capitals K-I-N-D. Um, most of those are legal services because we believe that is what's needed right now. But again, we are working with our partners in Texas to determine, um, and in other states as well, uh, to determine what is most needed. But right now we believe that advocacy towards elected officials so that they are hearing that we do not support this policy and having public outcry, having vigils. So we're doing our vigil in Washington, D.C. You could host a vigil in your community, and we certainly hope that you do so. So thank you for those excellent questions. It's definitely top of mind as we're seeing these images and, and hearing these stories of um, mothers and fathers being separated from their children. We do have another question about other activities being planned at General Convention um, that folks could join maybe beyond the booth. Will there be any other engagement opportunities that EMM will be hosting to further educate folks and engage them at General Convention? I'll take that. And then, Kendall, I might toss it over to you. So part of what we're hoping to do at General Convention is speak to the 
you know, enormous number of deputies, bishops, attendees, folks going to the ECW triennial meeting about why they care so deeply about this work. Get those stories, get that passion for this ministry that we all do together as a church. And we're going to be collecting all of that, both audio clips to publish out more um, podcasts so we get that out to a larger audience. But we're also always looking for folks who want to guest write on our blog. Um, Kendall does a lot of work with coaching folks to do media placement, both op-eds, letters to the editor, and other kinds of media. Um, So if you're planning a vigil, like Lacey mentioned, it's so critical that you think about all the ways you can get that message out more, more broadly than just the attendees who are present with you and praying with you. Um, Kendall, do you want to talk a little bit about how folks can really lift their voice and get their get their message out to a wider audience? Absolutely. So one of the big things that we encourage people to do is to write a letter to the editor of their local paper, um, to work on an op-ed and submitting that. And we have resources on our website that walk you through how you can do that. But this is a time where we would say it's really important for you to lift up your voice and there are many outlets for you to do that. Um, and we are more than happy to work with you on getting those placed. Absolutely. And just to add, um, Kendall mentioned this, but the Office of Government Relations and EMM are sharing a booth. So we will be together at General Convention. So our advocacy opportunities will be there as well. Um, we will have, you know, you can send a live message to your elected officials. You can bring your friends over to have them send a message to your elected officials about all of these issues. We'll be touching on much more than just refugee and immigration issues, including highlighting solitary confinement, creation care, international development and partnerships, and more. And the last thing I'll say about being in Austin for General Convention and if there are any activities being planned surrounding the issue of family separation, um, the convention obviously is being held in the Diocese of Texas. And the Diocese of Texas, Rio Grande, West Texas, Arizona, you know, these border dioceses are the ones that we're reaching out to actively right now to find out what pastoral and other needs they're seeing and how we can best support that. Um, So do stay tuned. And we're going to take the lead from those locally on the ground in those places to see where they think our, our efforts can be most effective. And we'll get that word out to you so you can partner with those dioceses on the border. And I just want to lift up an attendee says that they will be meeting and collaborating in the Diocese of West Texas to craft a pastoral response, which is excellent. So I I do want to reiterate to everyone that I think prayers are needed. Prayers are needed for these families. Prayers are needed for immigrants who have been deported and separated from their families through that process and refugees who are waiting family reunification around the world and due to the current policies and slowdown in refugee arrivals in the U.S., are unable to be reunited with their family. So prayer is is absolutely part and parcel of what we can and should be doing. Thank you so much, Lacey. And I'll just remind everybody that on our website, the Refugee Sunday Toolkit, while a toolkit um, about EMM's Ministry of Refugee Resettlement also has a number of prayer resources from, you know, sources across the world. There's also a beautiful prayers of the people for refugees and displaced people. So if you're planning any kind of event, um, prayer vigil, please use that as a resource. And I think we're going to bring today's webinar to a close. So want to thank you all so much for tuning in today. We're so grateful that you're here. And just want to follow up with a a few places you can go for the resources that we've mentioned. 
first is, um, well, I'm going to turn it over to Lacey to tell you all where you can find EPPN online. Lacey? Absolutely. You can find the Episcopal Public Policy Network online at advocacy.episcopalchurch.org and on social media where we are at the EPPN on Twitter and Instagram and the Episcopal Public Policy Network on Facebook. And you can find EMM online at EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org and on social media at EMM Refugees. We wish peace be with all of you. Please continue your prayers, your work, your advocacy, your support, and stand up for refugees, asylum seekers, and displaced people today and always. Thank you for being part of our 1939 moment, and goodbye. And poverty. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. A special thanks to Lacey Bromell from the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations for joining us, and to Callie Muley-Alexander for editing and producing the episode. Callie is an intern with WVIRM, or West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry, which is a partner of Episcopal Migration Ministries. Thank you, WVIRM, for your support of the Hometown Podcast and for letting us spend some time with Callie. Callie will also be editing and producing some upcoming summertime episodes while we're at General Convention. So stay tuned and stay subscribed and get ready for some summer listens. Until next time, listeners, learn more on our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. Peace be with you and all those you consider home.